Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good to see you guys. Uh, if we've not met before, my name is Drake. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Christ Church. And this is actually my first week back in the office. I've been on paternity leave. Uh, my wife, Andrea, and I, we have two sons. So it's getting pretty serious now uh, between us. My first son, his name is Willie. He is almost a year old. And our second son, his name is Murph. He is almost a month old. The reason for uh, my paternity leave. And people hearing that we have a newborn will be like, don't you love it? And I have to lie to them and say that I do, you know, it's like, love it. I love being spit up on. I love the dirty diapers, the sleepless nights. I absolutely love it. Murphy is going to be dedicated in the next service and I hope it works, you know, like he's been a heathen baby uh, for the first few weeks of life. And uh, some of you are like, Drake, you only have two kids. Quit complaining. I'm I'm sorry I'm not trying to birth a basketball team like some of the families in this church, you know, got five starters, kids coming off the bench, you know, don't judge me. I won't judge you. Okay. We can get through this parenting thing together. I'm a little sleepless and on edge right now about, you know. Kids. And uh, I, uh, I really do, I feel like I should say I like being a dad. Um, I really do love both of my sons. And a thought that often occupies my mind, uh, that probably occupies the minds of all the parents in this room, is how do I help my sons become who God has called them to be? I've done a lot of study in the area of child and adolescent development. Um, in my time of youth ministry, and especially as I've uh, been a dad myself now for a little over uh, a year, and there's experts that talk about uh, this interesting concept called rites of passage, moments in a child's life that uh, mark transition from one stage to the next, from a greater uh, to a greater responsibility, to a greater maturity, something new is happening in who you are becoming. And I've, I, I've loved studying these different rites of passages from around the world, and I want to share a few with you. In the Brazilian Amazon, there is a tribe that when their boys are 13 years of age, they initiate them into manhood through a series of trials. Uh, The same trial over 20 different times. And the trial is this. The uh, tribe will go out into the jungle and they will uh, find bullet ants. Bullet ants are the most, or have the most powerful, potent, and painful sting of any insect in the entire world. They will find these ants, they will sedate them in this mixture, and as the ants are sedated, they will weave them into um, a glove. It kind of looks like an oven mitt. And once the ants have woken up, the boys of 13 years of age now have to insert their hands into these uh, mitts and endure the stings of these bullet ants for 10 minutes at a time. Now, you might be thinking, I could probably do that. And I'm here to say, no, you probably couldn't because it looks painful. The boys' hands, they're black and blue by the end of it. There have actually been people from outside of the tribe, people from the States who have gone down there to try to do the initiation and they can't even get the gloves on because it hurts so bad. So 20 times and they become a man. There's a tribe in Ethiopia where a boy uh, who wants to uh, get married to a girl, he's engaged to a girl, uh, and to prove he's ready for marriage, he goes out uh, with his, what we would call groomsmen, and he goes to a field and he finds a bull. He then strips down naked and he has to jump over that bull four different times, and it signifies he's leaving childhood behind. But it seems kind of childish to me, but I'm not one to judge, you know? Kind of sounds fun uh, at the same time. So there's a tribe in Vanuatu uh, who, boys starting at the age 
age of seven or eight have to jump off platforms um, and bungee jump off these platforms with a vine they, vines they've cut themselves uh, in the jungle. The catch is their head has to barely brush the ground. Too short and it doesn't count, too long and I guess it's really painful. So the, the boys will jump and as they grow up, the platforms get higher and higher and the final platform they have to jump from is 98 feet tall from cutting their own Vine. So Andrew and I have talked. We don't know if we're going to go bullet ants or bungee cords, but we're going to do something to help these boys figure out who they, they are. Today we're in Exodus 16 through 40. This is Israel's time in the desert. This is their, this is their growing up, if you will. God leads them through a series of passages to the promised land, these rites that uh, teach them who they are and who they are becoming. Uh, we're going to talk about this, but I feel the need to catch us up on where we have been because it's connected to the previous two weeks that we've been gathered here on Sunday morning. So 430 years before they passed through the Red Sea, uh, Israel, uh, a man named Jacob and his sons uh, were in a famine, a very severe famine in the land of Egypt was prepared for this famine because of a young man who was actually one of Israel's sons named Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery uh, by his brothers and he rose to prominence as second in power in all of Egypt. People were coming to Egypt to find relief and rescue, including Israel and his sons, and they found favor in the eyes of Pharaoh because of their connection to Joseph. Time passes, the generation dies, the Pharaoh dies, Joseph dies. And there's a new community of people, which means there's a new Pharaoh. And this new Pharaoh has a problem. The Israelites are just enormous. There's so many of them. And he thinks to them, himself, if there are so many of them, they could take over my empire. And so he poses this solution. He enslaves them into forced labor so as to cut their power out from underneath them. God sends another man to Egypt. His name is Moses. Moses opposes the Pharaoh. And God shows his power through a series of plagues. Pharaoh continually and emphatically says, no, I will not let the people go. And so the final, the 10th plague, the death of every firstborn, including the death of Pharaoh's firstborn son, he finally relents and lets the people, the Israelites, go free. But he changes his mind quickly and he sets in pursuit to capture the Israelites or to kill the Israelites. And the Israelites are now standing with an impassable Red Sea before them and an unbeatable Egyptian army behind them until God proves miraculous and he provides dry ground appear to in the middle of the sea and the walls or the water walls up and they pass safely through and the Egyptians are eventually swallowed by the sea as they try to pass through. This is where we are at today. The Israelites are standing on the other side of the Red Sea in the desert. And when I think of the Exodus story, I think of a puzzle. The Israelites are God's chosen people. He has called them and he has made promises to them about the people that they are to be and it is a beautiful image. The only problem is they're not where they're supposed to be. They're trapped in the confines of Egypt. In the first half of the Exodus, what God does is he opens the box for the people to become who God has called them to be. He sets them free through passage in the Red Sea. The only problem is they don't like what they see when they get there because it's, they're thinking promised land. And when they get there and they see who they are, they see brokenness. Pieces of a puzzle that aren't put together Beauty distorted, the image discarded. This is what they find on the other side of the Red Sea. It's not at all what they thought they were to find. In fact, they, they grumble, they complain. Exodus 16, right after they passed through, it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. 
There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Man, liberation doesn't seem so good to them. They would rather be, they'd rather be dead. The theme of the desert is discipleship. Their view, their view of the Exodus is, is, is short-sighted at best. For only one half of the Exodus is through. They have been liberated from slavery. And now there begins the journey of being liberated to life and to freedom. This is the desert. This is what is happening. They are becoming who God has called them to be. And I don't want you to miss the water motif here. The Israelites passed through the Red Sea, having been liberated by God from the powers and slavery in Egypt. Many of us in this room have passed through the waters of baptism, having been liberated by Jesus from the slavery to sin and death. This is our story too. Exodus echoes in our very lives. And today we're going to have a message for church people for people who have passed through the waters of baptism, who have been liberated by Jesus from the powers of sin and death, and now find themselves broken, certainly free in Christ. But how do these pieces of the puzzle get put back together into the image that God has called us to be? This is the message today. The theme of the desert is discipleship, and this is a message for church people. Liberation is not complete once you've left Egypt. Liberation is complete once you've entered the promised land. And the desert of discipleship can be hard, but it is important. Why is discipleship important? Because without discipleship, you won't truly know the plans and purposes that God has for your life. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome in, Ex in Romans chapter 12, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is discipleship language. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Without a commitment to discipleship, we won't be able to take hold of the life that is truly life. Jesus himself said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. Discipleship is it's hard. Do you remember the first part of your exodus? You might describe it as your rescue or your awakening. This is the moment where you saw God for who he is. This is the moment where God began to lead you out of Egypt and through the Red Sea toward the promised land. For a lot of us, myself included, it happened when we were a child. Maybe it was at church. Maybe it was at your home with your parents. Maybe it was at a camp or a conference you went to in middle school or high school. For some of us, it was at a men's encounter or a women's encounter. For some of the gentlemen in the room, it might have been a men's encounter last weekend that you experienced this awakening. For a lot of people, not all, but a lot, this first part of the exodus is the easy part. I mean, who wouldn't want to who wouldn't want to follow a God who purposes his power over the false gods of the Egyptians, proving who he is and leading his people? Who wouldn't want to follow the God who splits the Red Sea right down the middle in the middle of a vast water that allows people to walk straight through to freedom? 
Who wouldn't want to follow a Jesus who is kind and gentle and joyful and helpful? Who wouldn't want to follow a Jesus who opens blind eyes, opens deaf ears, heals the sick? Who wouldn't want to follow a Jesus who defeated death in bodily resurrection? Who wouldn't want to find their life in him? The irony is, a lot of time is the same people who won't commit to the commands of God or the commissions of Jesus. Because discipleship is hard. Being freed to the life that God has for us is hard. Becoming who we are called to be can be difficult because discipleship a lot of the times is dealing with the pain and problems caused by our sin to slavery. Brokenness is not always the easiest thing to walk through, is it? Now let me be clear, let me be emphatically clear. Are you free in Christ? Yes. He has rescued you. But is there brokenness in your life that needs to be put back together? Are there ashes that need to become beautiful? Yes, we all have that as well. And it's going to take time. This journey of discipleship is going to take time because transformation almost always takes time. It took time for Israel. This season, and I use the word season hesitantly, because when we think of the word season, we often think of a, a term less than a year. Like right now, it's, it's baseball season and football season and soon to be preseason basketball. It's also, starting this past week, was, was the beginning of the fall season. And I love the fall season, right, for many things. Playoff baseball, football, I love the weather, but I also love pumpkin spice. And it's pumpkin spice season right now, people. And I love it a latte, you know what I'm saying? Like it is, it is good. And if you don't, don't judge me, okay, because you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Seasons, it's so good. It is. It absolutely is. The goodness of the Lord in the fall. Oh, man. Seasons. This, this season for Israel could have taken physically at least 11 days to make the passage through the desert. But it took them 40 years. 40 years to become who God has called them to be. Why? Because this journey is not about destination. This journey is about transformation. That's what the desert is all about. Now, let me be clear. The land that they were headed to was promised, which means it is secure. Nothing can take it away. God is not concerned about their getting there on time. He is concerned about their holiness. And Christians, the same is true for us. Our eternity is secure. Heaven is secure. A place has been prepared for us. The journey of discipleship is about being prepared for the place. It's about becoming who God has called us to be on our way to what he has prepared for us. What's interesting is I say that it took a long time for the Israelites to become who God has called them to be. And there's only one group of people in history that it took longer for them to figure out who they are and what they are to do. It was the Chicago Cubs when it took them 108 years to win a World Series again. You know what I'm saying? How about those Cardinals? 15 in a row. Come on now. That's good stuff. In the desert, it's all about discipleship, who we, who we are becoming being freed to the life that God has for us. And I mentioned the rite of passage at the beginning of the sermon, and I want to talk about a few of them in Exodus 16 through 40 that God does for the Israelites to establish their identity and who they are becoming. He establishes three things with Israel. Number one, he establishes a foundation of trust with his people. They need this. Think about it. They went to Egypt for relief and rescue, and they ended up slaves. Now they're in the desert having been rescued by God. Can they really trust him? 
Part of the exodus for some might have been just getting out of there. Maybe this desert will be better. The second thing he establishes for them is an expectation of relationship. And the third is a constant presence. They're in the desert and I already read to you uh, their complaint. They're hungry. Right after they pass through the Red Sea, they want food. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know I am the Lord your God. This is a personal term he uses. I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost appeared on the ground on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? And Moses said, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. And each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Day after day, they had to trust God to provide their basic need of food. And through this series of trust exercises, God led them to believe that they could trust in him for their most basic of needs. In the next chapter, God provides them water because they're thirsty. And he does so through the most unique of ways by having Moses strike a rock and water flows from the rock for the Israelites to drink. They can trust God. That's the, that's the purpose of this rite of passage. They can trust him. And the second one, God is establishing that they can trust him. Now they need to be faithful and obedient to him. Exodus 19, the Lord called to Moses from the mountain and said, this is what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are God's people, and he expects them to be his people. The next chapter, Exodus 20, God gives the Israelites through Moses 10 commandments. I had the Ten Commandments hanging in my room as a kid, but I had the paraphrased version. This was the cowboy edition of the Ten Commandments. So I learned the Ten Commandments like honor your ma and your pa. Uh, don't be messing around with another feller's gal. You know what I'm saying? And don't be hankering for your buddy's stuff. So I learned those commandments. And it was a different edition of the Bible, but uh, it was still good. God, uh, God gave the Israelites in the desert 613 commandments. Commandments for their good, commandments for their protection, commandments for their flourishing. Commandments for worship, commandments to the leadership, commandments to establish justice and offer mercy, commandments for their transformation. The word commandment can leave a bad taste in the mouths of many because of what has happened with commandments. Sometimes authority and leadership will get commandments and they will abuse the power of these commandments to have dominance and assert their authority over other people. This is not what God is doing, to be clear. He has already established his authority. They know that he is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He showed that when he beat the false gods of the Egyptians. He showed that with the miracles that he provided. He can do anything that he wants to do. These commandments are for the good of the people. And when obeyed, they will lead to the transformation of the people. 
These commandments are essential. Being obedient to God in the covenant that he has called us to is essential for these pieces of brokenness being put back together in the image of beauty. When obeyed, these commandments lead to life. That's always what commandments do. They lead people, groups of people even, to life and life to the fullest when obeyed. And this is the expectation of their relationship, that they would be faithful to God as God has been faithful to them. And these commandments are essential to that. But maybe the most essential thing that God does for the Israelites in the desert is he establishes his constant presence with them. And he does so through a myriad of means, but one of which is the tabernacle, a movable place of presence for God. Exodus 40, the last chapter. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. And maybe the most basic definition of discipleship, and a powerful one as well, is that when God moves, we follow. When God moves, we follow. The theme of the desert is discipleship, becoming who God has called us to be, having these pieces of the puzzle, these pieces of beauty being put back together into the image that he has called us to be, and it's probably going to take a while. Eugene Peterson was a pastor who's since passed, and the definition that he put for discipleship was this, a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. As someone who is in the younger half of the room today, I would like to just extend on behalf of my generation a thank you to the, those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time and who have been faithful to that in a long obedience in the same direction. It is not easy. It is not always easy to be faithful to your friends, faithful to your spouse, faithful to your kids. It is not always easy to be faithful to God. But some of you in this room have been doing it for a long time. And thank you for the example that you have set for those of us who are coming in the generation behind you. Because this is something that we all need to be committed to and we need examples on how to do it because the desert of discipleship can be hard, can it? And I don't know where to go. I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to do. How do these pieces of the puzzle get put back together? And so many people just say, I'm gonna go back to Egypt, you know? At least I knew how to be a slave in Egypt. At least I knew how to live in the confines of sin and death. But man, when I find this, what am I supposed to do with it? Like I hear the promises of God on my life that he will bring beauty out of ashes, but how does this even happen? By a commitment to discipleship. Living your life with him in the highs and the lows, in the beauty and the brokenness, this is how it happens. This is how the puzzle gets put back together. The desert doesn't have like trailheads and markers like a lot of the hikes that we probably go on in the wilderness, does it? You get there and you're like, man, I don't even know where to begin. For those of you in the room who have been committed to discipleship, here's my encouragement to you. Continue to be so. Man, if you're in a rooted group, show up to your rooted group. Be present in your rooted group. Do the daily task for your rooted group. Don't give up. Prioritize it. For those of you who are in a post-encounter group, 
be faithful to it. Be open and vulnerable. Commit to the group so that you can grow in discipleship and grow in who God has called you to be. To the students in the room, be faithful to your discipleship groups. When your leader is hosting a D group, be present at that D group. Be present in the study, in the memorization. Be present in it all and be faithful to it. To the parents in the room who witnessed the child dedication today, remember that you are called to lead your child in holiness and faithfulness to God. So don't make excuses for sports or activities or anything else. Be faithful in your Bible reading. Be faithful in your prayer with your family. Be faithful in the spiritual disciplines of your family. Be faithful in it all. And watch as God is faithful to you and the beauty from brokenness begins to be restored. This is what God does. He brings beauty from brokenness. In the south end of our lobby, just south of the cafe, there's the Pathways Center. Pathways is an effort that's been in the works for a few years now. It's an effort to help people in every stage of the faith journey. For people who have just now starting out to people who have been following Jesus for 50 years. Pathways is the, is the trailhead marking, this is where you should go now. It's the markers in the middle of the trail saying, turn here, go this way, your destination is going here and transformation is happening in the middle. This is Pathways. That Pathways Center is full of resources to help you in your journey. It's even marked for people who are just starting out and people who have been following Jesus for a long time. And there's also people in that room who serve as Pathways Guides. And you can ask them questions about resources that may be good for you, things that may be helpful to you in your stage of the journey. So can I encourage you today to be faithful in what you've been doing and to go and visit the Pathways Center to see how God might lead you in more and more directions. This is all about being faithful in hard times. Discipleship in the desert. If I can call the church to one thing, it's to remember this. This journey is not about the destination, it's about the transformation. So let's be committed to a long obedience in the same direction. Father, we are grateful for this season of Israel's history. Although it's not the one that's most flashy, most exciting, it is one that is imperatively important for us to remember. Father, discipleship is hard. Father, we recognize that we are free in Christ and our destination is secure. Father, with this journey of transformation, would you be gracious to us as you always have been and would you be faithful to us as you always have been? Father, help us to become who you have called us to be for your glory, for our good, and for the good of those around us. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.